Hello, I'm Jackie Mignot. And I'm Zach Robichaud. You're listening to A Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We're coming to you from Treaty 7 territory, talking with all sorts of people about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners, and we are on a quest to have a conversation about the central Christian belief that God became flesh. From being right, right. a white male in the church right. to Holy identifying as a woman who, in our church culture, couldn't even stand in the pulpit, uh-huh. and so or or sit in an elder's seat or um, you know do much of anything but lead the children's choir in Sunday school. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. The, so the social construct and how I relate to it was very real. So even though it put me in a minority, it was an authentic minority. Welcome to this very special episode of the podcast Made Flesh. Uh, today we're talking to Laura Bethany Bucklighter who is a transgendered woman who's uh, going to be a pastor, and she's curr- just finishing her studies now. And she's also an author and musician and just a, just a wonderful person. Um, we uh, asked her to share a little bit of what the incarnation means to her and how it informed her journey. Yeah, this conversation is so um, meaningful, and it was really encouraging to me, but I think the the conversation about what it means to be an authentic self, what it means to um, be hyper aware of your body in this world and have, and to not feel comfortable in your body and then to come to a place where you are yourself. Um, That's a powerful journey and there's so much to learn and hear in this uh, conversation with Laura Beth. As always, we uh, end up talking about things that I certainly don't expect and mm-hmm. uh, we talk a lot about certainty mm-hmm. and complexity and normativism and uh, yeah just what it means to be a part of God's diverse creation mm-hmm. yeah we hope you enjoy it and are encouraged as we were <laughs> So I am Laura Beth uh, Bucklighter. Um, it's spelled Buchleiter, but uh, <laughs> if I if I gave you a dollar, I'd be a Bucklighter. So oh, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, yeah. I'm actually currently a seminary student. I'm finishing up my um, Master's of Divinity. Um, as of last week, my answer to that question is next month. I graduate hey. next month, and that reality is sinking in. So yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm a writer. I have a book out. I'm um, correlating with graduation and ordination. Um, I'm going to be releasing an album oh, wow. um, of music that was written during seminary. And uh, wow. the, uh, uh, yeah, moving on to doing some interim work. Um, so mm-hmm. hopefully spend the next several years traveling and uh, doing okay. some work with churches, going through transitions and changes and mm-hmm. kind of helping navigate that space and hopefully in the process, navigating into some more affirming, open and inclusive spaces as well. So, Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. 
Um, so probably significant to that. Mm -hmm. I usually introduce myself as a uh, trans intersex Baptist <laughs> minister, <laughs> just for the shock value. Of it. <laughs> so. the, the Baptist first, yeah, yeah, the Baptist, yeah, yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much for joining us. My first question is going to be kind of to the heart of the matter um, that we like to explore here. How has your perspective of the incarnation uh, changed? And now that you're almost done being a seminary student, um, could, could you tell us a little bit about that, that change? Like we all have Christmas and then like, ha have, have you had any moments about the incarnation that um, you could tell us about? Yeah. East, yeah. Of course we just, we just finished Holy week and yeah. Um, I've always said that the the cross without the manger or the manger without the cross is an incomplete story. And, mm. uh, you know, the, the body of Christ is so crucial to the story from, from the conception to the infancy to, to the cross to the physical bodily resurrection and Thomas sticking his, his fingers in the wounds and the holes. Um, and I think that um, that incarnation, the pouring out, of um of christ you know what paul describes as the kenosis just the mm. emptying uh, into the body um to to be fully god and fully man um is a representation of divinity that mm. is not removed from us as we like to think it is so for me personally that's taken the shape of um really working through healing through trauma healing mm. and realizing that much of my spiritual life I spent um in a with a strong dichotomy where there was spirit that was good and safe and healthy and there was body that was damaged and vulnerable and weak yeah and um mm. through that through the process of working through multiple traumas um I have come to to see us as um, three parts: mm. um, body, which is tied to time mm. and to temporal space and linear space, mm. and spirit, which is tied to eternity and eternal space, free from time, mm. and then soul um, that bridges the two. Oh, and I like that. When soul and spirit and body work together in a in a harmony, um, the way I like to say it is: Has your body ever danced with your soul to the music of your spirit? <laughs> and when we can do that, when soul can let body listen to the spirit, when soul can let spirit embrace body and honor time and honor the progression and growth that we go through, mm. then, um, then we find wholeness. That it's beautiful. And I'm just going to take a second and just sit with that for a second wholeness, because it, then it strikes me that your story is that story of, of bringing these into harmony. So I wonder if you could yes. yeah. speak to that a little bit, maybe, a little bit of your story and how that um, 
yeah, your body and your spirit and your soul become in harmony. Cause that is, man, that's such good news to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's been a, it's been a powerful journey. The, um, um, so like I say, I, most of my life spent with living in that dichotomy and um, it was through the diagnosis of um, what at the time was gender identity disorder around mm. 2006, 2007, mm. and I'm sorry, 2008. Prior to that diagnosis of PTSD, okay, um, which eventually evolved to complex PTSD and... Um, okay. Um, and then eventually diagnosed with an intersex condition. Okay. So that body um, became um, complicated. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. body was, like I said, it was vulnerable and mm. it was weak. I My first trauma that we worked with in therapy was in me. I almost drowned as a four-year-old. Okay. I fell into the babysitter's pool and can remember reaching the top of the water only to sink back down again, doing that twice before I saw her diving in. And, wow. Um, barely, I don't have any memory of her pulling me out, but of then sitting in the grass and, um, or laying in the grass, actually. Um, and so I was confronted pretty early on with my own mortality. Mm. And that changes a child. Um you know, I never went through that um, bulletproof teenager stage <laughs> that, right. you know, we can do anything. Um, the I did have my extreme sports phase just because I figured, what the hell, you know, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> gonna, <laughs> um, if it's going to happen, might as well enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, so engaging with um, with body, but then as I, my spirituality grew, um seeing the divine as something that was um, distant Mm. and engaged. And in fact, not only could it not be with the body, um, the the doctrine of atonement that I was taught said that the sinful body caused separation from the divine. And so part of this journey has been, and part of that, the, where that imagery of the soul and and that is imagery to me by the Mm -hmm. way i don't think we're literally separated into three people but the imagery of the soul is the bridge between the temporal and the eternal um is um it was born out of this notion that the cross isn't just isn't just about forgiveness of sins for the sake of reuniting us yeah for the sake of us curing a separation mm. from God. The cross is about opening our eyes. If we think about all the stories of Christ and how many times he said, when will you see how many blind people he healed? Yeah. Um, and, and not just healed, but healed partially so that they could see partially and then healed fully so that they could see fully just to il- mm. illustrate what was going on. And the the work of the cross is the... Um, the awakening to the divinity within us, the opening our eyes to see the divinity that was already created into us, mm. um, yeah. into these physical bodies, into this temporal time. It's like what you're talking about is the reality, like just 
like here's what is real and you know even on the cross exposing this is this is your violent way like and i'm inviting you to a way of peace or you know like this is the good way yeah mm -hmm. that that reality and you used the word harmony before like mm -hmm. reality harmony um invitation to see like that that's all that's all together in yeah yeah, the title of the album is actually The Seminary Sessions, and the subtitle title is More Than a Melody. Um, and, um, and the idea behind that is that it's complex. Yeah. That, that good music is complex. Good living is complex. Good spirituality mm -hmm. um, is yeah. more than a um, more than the one-line insurance policy. That I oh, yeah. So. Let, can you say a little bit more about that? Because it was just... Uh, Easter, not Christmas. It was just Easter yesterday. It feels like it was just Christmas. Oh my gosh, right? Um, and can you say more about um, the shift from the atonement theology of like, we need to somehow pay a price and then we'll be on God's right side? Like, yeah. I, I get that there's, because this, I mean, this is a huge topic, but I right. wonder if for you and your, from your personal life, like your personal experience and your own journey of, of um, coming to God with this. Could you speak into that more of that shift for you from that to this? Sure. Um, it was slow and painful for one thing. They <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shifts often are. <laughs> um, and just to give some more context, I started my education in the early 90s at Moody Bible Institute. Okay. And um, spent about 20 years in the Christian music business and in you know, some evangelical church ministry and um, evangelistic ministries. I, I heard, sorry, I'm, I heard you in a talk say once you did Young Life and I was a Young Life kid too. Okay. Yeah. Back when. Yes. Yeah. And it's still, you know, still a very soft spot in my heart for Young Life. And I, I yeah. <laughs> grieve for the fact that they would not welcome me in their midst as a trans woman, um, but, but was super influential and mm -hmm. in my own healing in high school and growing. Yeah. So. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. The uh, um, yeah, so uh, Sorry. that's okay. Um, <laughs> I uh, moving through the course of that ministry, through the course of that education, um, I, I developed what I came to call an addiction to answers. Mm, yeah, and um, Pete Enns calls it the sin of certainty. Yeah. Um, it's a fabulous book, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, the um, um, in reading that book, kind of gave credence to my what I was starting to recognize as this addiction to answers, and what the addiction to answers meant was that we needed a reason for everything, mm -hmm. and separation from God, um, the ransom language, um, the um, sacrificial language, um, is, um, clean, dry answers to the question of why the cross. Yeah. And it's a clean answer to give at a revival, at a high school camp, um, at young life meetings to, um, to, to say, this is why here are the steps. Mm -hmm. And, um, Part of my part of my journey out of that space, um, you know, I was always told that I was that um, 
that I had a God-shaped hole in my heart, mm-hmm. you know, that only God could fill. I don't know if you all ever heard, oh, yeah. heard that. Yeah. Familiar. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, what I realized was that this, this addiction to answers meant that I, in order to fill the God-shaped hole in my heart, I built a God-shaped box in my head. Ooh. And so coming out of this space meant literally deconstructing the box, mm-hmm. taking the box apart plank by plank and um, letting God out. Um, so um, I got in a little bit of trouble once. I said, I didn't come out. God did. <laughs> right. I like that. <laughs> and um, the, uh, um, so when I let God out of the box, things got bigger and bolder and more beautiful mm-hmm. and brighter and more creative. Yeah. And so the complexity of what it means to be created in the image of God, um, that I was born a person who had the physical representation of both what we consider both genders. Um, And the more I learned about gender and the biology behind gender, um, you know, there's there's no it's not a binary solution. Yeah. Neither is the cross, neither is the Christ, neither is Mm -hmm. our relationship to God, a binary conversation, Mm -hmm. a yes or no answer. And what that really sparked was a journey into Christian mysticism. Mm -hmm. And my parents, bless their wonderful hearts, we survived me coming out as trans. Yeah. We're working on me coming out as not really coming out, but in living into being lesbian. I haven't dated since I came out, so they haven't mm-hmm. had to cross that bridge yet, but they're prepared to when, when the time comes. Mm-hmm. I think telling them I was a Christian mystic <laughs> just about put them over the final edge. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, a quick funny story, when I first came, called them um, to tell them Um, that I had been diagnosed with gender identity disorder and that I was going to stop fighting it and live into it. Um, The, uh, they listened quietly um, for a while while I did my best in that language to explain that. Mm -hmm. And mom said, well, she's like, well, we knew you were struggling. We knew there were going to be some changes. Um, We don't know what to do with all this, but I'm just a little relieved because I was afraid you were going to tell us you were a Democrat. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. 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 But again, another binary that we love to. Yeah. Right. We love to have a simple answer to: Are you Republican or Democrat? It's like, well, I'm not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I am, huh. I am the political essence of purple. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess I mean we're, we're talking about mystery, and you brought up mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um. And I know from listening to a talk online that you that you did that you you ask you know you're like ask me about anything. Um, how how did transitioning, like did that resolve anything? Like was there, if I mean if things are complex and there's a mystery and it's non-binary, how did transition like is there a like what yeah. there's a tension there for me. Because transitioning is something that could only happen in the last 50 years, really. Publicly, yeah. Publicly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know much about had... the history of transition, but is, yes, and 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 transition is somewhat of a of a privilege, and mm. um, you know that's something that we in the community need to do a better job of, of acknowledging. Mm. Um, I'm not scrounging for food, right? And therefore, yeah. have time to think about my gender presentation, and yeah. Um, yeah. And and that doesn't minimize it because it is a huge part of our social construct. Mm-hmm. And so it affects the way I relate to the church. I relate to, you know, but if we were out just grabbing fish to live, um, no one would care, should care, you know. Um, yeah, that's interesting. If, yeah. if it was all about I needed more children to work the farm um, or to perpetuate the generations, then my biological sex would be important my gender maybe maybe not right in most cultures so um the and that's an important distinction too in between those two yeah biological sex and gender right um neither of them binary by the way (laughs) so Mm. um so yes transitioning did one major thing for Mm. me um it's um it it took away the masks huh. um so the selfless plug here the name of my book is shattering masks yeah and it's um the whole point of the book is authentic living right so what all of the things that i had learned to hide behind um in order to be the right christian right christian husband right christian father right christian son right christian male preacher um i had a pastor at a coffee shop uh one time i won't even tell you the state but he um he was just trying to get his head around this and it was one of those things i some moms that one of the moms that i work with um, said, you need to come, please come talk to my pastor. And I happened to be driving through the state. So I'm like, all right, set up a coffee. So we sat down to talk and he was just trying to get his head around it. And he's just a good old boy. And he says, I, one thing I just don't understand is why is it you would take a demotion going from being right, right. a white male in the church right. to Holy moly. identifying as a woman who in our church culture couldn't even stand in the pulpit. Uh-huh. And so, or, or sit in an elder's seat or, um, you know, do much of anything, but lead the children's choir in Sunday school. So, um, the, so the social construct and how I relate to it was very real. So even though it put Mm -hmm. me in a minority, it was an authentic minority. Right. And so it's really interesting. Um, there aren't many recordings of me speaking before I transitioned. Um, the, uh, but the few that I have, even my music and even my, um, my, my writing and my, my, um, um, songs and stuff were the, the confidence level, Mm. um, you know, is different. I always was, um, chided for not speaking with the true authority of a male. And, um, and it's interesting now because, I am often misgendered in church contexts because I do speak with authority and there are people that think people speaking with spiritual authority must be male and I occasionally sound male and sometimes not but right. the uh so um but that's confidence um yeah. I, when I was first transitioning somebody 
um, you know, told me confidence is sexy, and I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, I think this is what I think this is what they were getting. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so there is something to be said for living into who we are created to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that doesn't take away from the complexity and and all the things we don't know about God and and are living into. Right. But it helps us do it. What's the word? Truer. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love the word authentic, genuine. Yeah. Um, you know, if I don't, if I'm honest with who I am, I don't, I don't have to think about it. Right. Pretending is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that connection between authenticity and authority, because I, I think often we confuse God's or Christ's authenticity authority as you know coming from power and and that but really it it comes from him fully embodying god and mm -hmm. you know revealing who god is in authenticity that's where the authority comes from it's not the i can do all these cool things or i could you know i could you know say the word and jerusalem would be raised to the ground or you know whatever yeah. um that that tie together, I, I really like that. Now I want to do this word study of you know auth and auth and auth author and you know there must be something yeah, there. There's I, something. I, there's something. I, yeah, authentic authenticity. Authorship. Yeah. Um, originality. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know the idea that we are unique, individual, original, embodied creations of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, you unique what, in body and spirit and soul. What was, this is something that I, I mean, I imagine to be a, a challenge being raised in a, in a, I'm not Baptist, so I'll say just a good Christian home mm -hmm. or a good Christian church. Um, you know, phrases like God doesn't make mistakes um, that, you know, God created us. And so, you know, we are created to be this way. Where, what happens when it, it doesn't work that way, at least societally, where society says that actually you were made wrong. And even, mm -hmm. even from, from, um, um, you know, same gendered relationships and, you know, like, it's like, well, God, God clearly couldn't have made you that way. Like that, so what, what, what are the feelings and how, how do you navigate that and where do you land where God created you this diverse way that is rejected by a significant part of the population or a majority even? Um, the, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I felt like I was about to sneeze. So I was acting like I was really thinking deeply about it, but I think it's past. <laughs> um, the, uh, um, no, and the answer is that that's the box. Yeah. Everything yeah. that you just said is the box that we create for God. Yeah. Um, God doesn't make mistakes, which means God God created everyone the way God created me. Mm -hmm. And right. or the norm. Yeah. You know, a normative mm -hmm. is a powerful word in my my space mm -hmm. um, because we we assume that normative is um reflective of god mm 
Right. Um, but we do that so myopically that um, norm normative, it's why we, we have a white Christian nationalist movement, because normative yeah. is what's comfortable and around me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were, I were reading in a textbook um, in a pastoral care and counseling class that I'm in, and the, the author of the textbook um, was talking about a, a gay man and um, holding this man up as righteous because he lived a celibate life. Mm -hmm. And the, the author of the book says, when it comes to sexuality, I know there's a lot of opinions, but I am more comfortable when gay people are celibate. And I literally right. wrote in the margins, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, comfort my people was not, thank you, comfort me. <laughs> I, yeah, make the normative more normal for my sake so that I can be comfortable with it. Oh, comfort my people meant my people are uncomfortable. Yeah. Comfortable mm -hmm. people don't need the Holy Spirit to comfort them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah. um, yeah, so my, you know, my, um, the, uh, when I, when I started talking about dating mm. and I, I describe myself as a theoretical lesbian cause I've done nothing to prove it. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, there's about five more jokes there and I'm <laughs> holding some boundaries. The, <laughs> I just wanted to say it out loud in case everyone wondered. I do have filters. Um, the uh, um, when I was first started talking about dating and the idea of dating, and my mother had just just come to accept me as her daughter, and had even introduced me around their little conservative town there in Dayton, Tennessee, as her daughter. And um, the uh, and so we were talking about me, my attraction to women. Mm -hmm which hasn't changed. So, you know, my gender identity shift changed my orientation. Right. To where I was no longer straight. Um, but gay, somebody else had to point that out to me, by the way. Um, but the, uh, so I asked her, I was like, okay, so say I told you that there was a special someone in my life and I wanted you to meet them and they were going to be in the Sunday school class at church in the morning. And we walk into the Sunday school class, and on one side of the room is John, and on the other side is Jill. Who do you want me to introduce you to? Hmm. She took her time to think about it. And she says everything about going to the women's Bible study and all of these you know, social places that I go to in our church and in our community says, I want to tell about my daughter's new friend, John. Hmm. Everything I know about Laura Bash, my child, says, of course you're going to introduce me to Jill. Right. And so her answer wasn't, there was not a doctrinal question. There wasn't a theological question afoot. It was, what am I comfortable with? Right. And if, if we set aside what we are comfortable with, you know, people ask me why I travel through the Midwest. Isn't that uncomfortable? Often. Mm. It is. 
um, I, I work mostly in very red states. Yeah. Um, another answer to that is I enjoy making people as uncomfortable as I often am. So that's, <laughs> um, there's fun in that too, but, um, but, but there is growth in discomfort. And if we can learn to embrace our discomfort, um, we can one learn to accept and be more loving yeah more living into the actual gospel yeah yeah um we can also learn to better honor our own boundaries hmm. yeah if i know when i'm uncomfortable and i can honor that and recognize it and identify it and maybe that's because this person is different in me right and i need to get over that Right. I need to lean into that, embrace that. Maybe I'm uncomfortable because this person is invading my personal space. Mm. And I can say to this person, okay, I'm uncomfortable because yeah. you're in my personal space and I need some. Right. Um, that invading is... my personal space is like four feet away these days. So. Right. Mm. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so that, that kind of leads me to want to ask questions about like, how then do you do um, community and, and leading and helping to lead Christian communities into spaces of, um, inclusion, inclusion, oh. affirming. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, because that's not comfortable work and yet it takes so much grace to be able to do that. Like I have trouble doing that mm-hmm. with people like I, it's hard. It's hard to be graceful. I could you speak into like how do you hold yourself because this kind of gets to like what an embodied community is like. So it's not going to be comfortable. It is. Yeah. But it's but it's going to be. Um, how do you hold yourself in those spaces? How do you? Where do you go to get the, the right attitude? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you do that? I'm just yeah, there's <laughs> there's there's several answers to that question. Um, one of which is um, it's 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 a it's a lot about narrative, mm. um, which was kind of the purpose of the book too was to introduce a story, and yeah. to spark a conversation. Um, I like to say that when I when I go into a place, I don't have to ask the question; I just get to sit down and be the question. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, all the times at those coffees with pastors, I'll just introduce myself like I introduced my to all. I'm a trans intersex lesbian. You yeah. know, Baptist minister, and uh, um, they just sit there with it, and I just sip my coffee, <laughs> and um, you know, let them let see see which one of those things draws up the most questions for them. Um, mm. The uh, and so just allowing my narrative, allowing my story mm. to to be there, and it takes it takes vulnerability. Yeah. on my part. So part of that is having spaces that I am fully affirmed and fully accepted. Right. Um, the, uh, I've been as, as I'm coming to the end of seminary and getting ready to move out of this little house that I've lived in the last three years and move on to a more nomadic lifestyle again, which I'm very excited about, mm-hmm. but I've also mm-hmm. been lamenting roots mm-hmm. and not really, this was move number 28 when I moved here. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I've got at least a few more in me, I know. Um, the uh, and, and as I processed that, 
um, what I realized was I wasn't really lamenting like geographical roots. I was lamenting stable community. Yeah. And what I realized is that I have that. It just looks very different. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had a near panic attack recently and I reached out to three people, only one of whom was in the same state yeah. that yeah. I'm in, but they know me. They yeah. know when I say these keywords, they know how to respond to bring me back to reality and help mm -hmm. ground me in those moments. Mm -hmm. And that's my community. Yeah. Mm. And so, um, so whenever I go into a space that I know I could be pushing the boundaries mm. a little bit, these people know. Mm. And um, we talk about it the day before. We remind me why I do what I do. We talk about it the next day and yeah. debrief on it. And, and sometimes it's just, oh, it was nothing. I mean, it was, you know, they were so ready to have me there. And more often than not, that's the case. By the time I get there, right? some people, some, enough people are excited about it. Yeah. Um, another way that I approach it is that um, I said earlier, I didn't come out. God did. Mm -hmm. um, I've done all the coming out I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And I call this an assumption of acceptance. Um, now, this is laced with a lot of privilege as well. Um, right. it, economic privilege, racial privilege, education. Mm -hmm. um, but I can walk into a space um, assuming that I'm going to be accepted. Mm. And if I'm not, the onus is on them right. to tell me so. Yeah. You'd be amazed at how few people actually will. Right. And once they have lived pretending to be accepting because they don't want to say otherwise, the <laughs> mystery is gone. Yeah. And the narrative starts to take hold. Yeah. And they they walk away saying, What just happened? <laughs> and and I and I do the same thing. What just happened? I you know, that was supposed yeah. to be contentious and you know, we talked about, you know, trucks and crops and airplanes. But, yeah, but that's that's evangelism that you're describing. Like that's where you, you can just be authentic, mm -hmm. uh, true, real um, in that space. And and you you start to change the narrative and or start the narrative and people yeah. can get get to know you. What I really loved about the story about your mom is you know, she first parroted, you know, kind of here's what society tells me. And then, but I know you. And, mm -hmm. you know, so like, and, and those are two different directions. So they are. And I think one of the distinctions that I like to make with evangelism is the way I was taught evangelism right. um, is that um, the, you, the way I was taught evangelism was you go in, um, authentically manipulating the narrative to what you believe the outcome needs to be. Yeah. When yeah. I go in and I get to simply be, I get to be the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm very careful to allow, and that was my, my third point is that everyone is on mm -hmm. their own journey. Yeah. Not only is every individual on their own journey, every community is on their own journey. Yeah. And community narrative is something that I'm just starting to scratch some research mm. space in and um, 
really hope to study more as I'm engaging communities over the next several years. Oh, that would be um, yeah. The, uh, and so, um, the, uh, allowing, allowing my, so the way I describe it is it's not what I used to do is go in and take their narrative on me. So mm -hmm. I would submit my narrative to theirs mm -hmm. in order to serve them well. And I spiritualized that beautifully. <laughs> um, yeah. What uh, many evangelists do is they impose their narrative on another person's journey. Mm. And they say, no, this is how it's supposed to work. And this is what Christianity looks like. And this mm -hmm. is normative. Right. Um, I might be aging myself here, but when I was in high school, Steve Taylor was a... Christian artist made a song called I Want to Be a Clone. Oh, really? I, I don't know that song. I, I remember him. Yeah. 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 Um, the, uh, yeah, the, I think the, the course was, <laughs> or the first verse was, I've gone through so much other stuff that walking down the aisle was tough, but now I know it's not enough. I want to be a clone. <laughs> oh, wow. And it, I mean, it's, it was a whole, it's, it was all satire, but it was just this. You know, if if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be like this, and you have to be like right. this, and you have to you have to become the conformist. Mm -hmm. um, and and then... both those both those views of, of evangelism, where you impose your narrative or you submit to another's narrative, are very wrong. Like yeah. like so destructive. The to, and the yeah. goal is to bring my narrative to the table without losing any of me in the process. Mm -hmm. So let our narratives intertwine for however long those narratives are intended to be together. And mm -hmm. for some of us, it's been years. Um, yeah. For some of us, it's a moment. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's engaging the narrative with no pretense of controlling the outcome of the story. Yeah. And, and just witnessing to the, the good work that's been done, being done in you. <laughs> right. You know, and one of the things, so one of the narratives that likes to get put on me is like, well, we, we can't approve of your sexual sin. Right. And I'm like, what sexual sin? Right. And I've actually done this in a room full of deacons, male deacons, I should mm -hmm. note. And said, let's go around and give me a number for your sexual partners. I mean, you all had rowdy college days. I, I know the crowd. <laughs> and uh, and I'll give you mine. Right. And I'll stack mine in your purity culture mindset against any one of yours. Right. Yeah. I will stack my so-called sexual sin against any one of your lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the narrative that you would put on me is not an accurate narrative. Right. Now, I could go on about why everything I just said is not what I consider sexual sin anymore, but that's another yeah. conversation. <laughs> so, um, the uh, just as body powering and then forming, but um, mm -hmm. the uh, but the narrative is that my my sexuality, what I bring to the table is not what it's perceived to be. Right. And so no more than I can perceive. Now I've done that before too, where 
you know, there were several of us right on the same page. It's like, no, just just me and my wife. And I'm like, fantastic, same, you know? Yeah. yeah. The, uh, um, yeah. Well, that's... Inter intertwining those narratives. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, and that's a whole other, again, direction and, and further conversation is needed, maybe not today, but... <laughs> In general, just about yeah. our sexuality and our embodiment and, and what is in in that realm, what is damaging and harmful um, and what is God created. So like, that's a whole other thing, but it, that the purity culture stuff just like taps right into it. And yes. Yeah. 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 And there are, there are much stronger conversation partners than me on that, on that topic, but yeah. Um, yeah, but one yeah. of my favorites too to to tackle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we you mentioned something a, a while back about being a mystic, and we just kind of blew past it. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us more about your exploration into Christian mysticism and yeah. like what that's meant to you? Um, because I feel like it really connects to you know, bucking against normatism, normative, normativism, mm -hmm. normativism, um, normativity and complexity and not knowing. Um, yeah. Can you just tell us maybe like, where yeah. did you learn about Christian mysticism and why did you embrace it? Um, so my, I, I kind of came at Christian mysticism through, through a, a back door, if you will. Um, I, my first venture out of Christian therapy and Christian counseling was when um, the Christian therapist that I was working with finally admitted she was in over her head. And I had severe nightmares related to the PTSD and related to the gender dysphoria. And um, so she referred me to a dream psychologist. Huh. Yeah. Um, the And at first she's like, well, I want you to see this dream psychologist, but I also want you to debrief with me so I can basically undo all of the non-Christian psychology woohoo that she's going to bring. And the dream psychologist wisely said, no, <laughs> if you're going to work with me, you're going to work with one therapist at a time. Yeah. And so I agreed and um, never went back to the other therapist, but, mm -hmm. um, but she was a Jungian trained psychologist. And so um, the, uh, I did what any good well-trained Bible college student would do. And I dove into her ideology and was like, okay, if you're going to be, this influential in my life, I need to know what you're thinking. Yeah. So I, I read Young's Red Book, mm. and I talk about woohoo. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was like, this is off the deep end, but she's helping me, and it makes you know what she's saying is making sense. And so, um, so it, that was the first time I allowed myself to think about God and think about spirituality in a way different than I had been taught. Yeah. Right. Right. And so um, that eventually led, and then um, uh, I, I mentioned Pete N's book, Rachel Hal Evans' books. Um, the uh, I mentioned my family being in Dayton. Um, Rachel's was a friend of mine, and she was actually the one that sat down with me and said, "You you know you're gay, right?" <laughs> and um, the uh, but but her books inviting the doubt and inviting the question and to me what christian mysticism is is honoring the mystery yeah 
Yeah. Um, so there are, uh, there is, of course, school of theology of Christian mysticism. But as soon as you codify mysticism, it's no longer mystical. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the the Julians of Norwich and um, that era of people, the Desert Mothers and Fathers, right. um, the Cloud of Unknowing has been a majorly influential book on my seminary career. Oh, wow. And yeah. um, it's anonymous author we don't even know who wrote it right there there's so much good there because like so this is my my own experience too again so canada up up here in canada Mm -hmm. people like rachel held evans and pete ends also are doing huge things um and inviting us into the bigger conversation but a lot of us too have had these experiences of our healing is on the other side of the box of answers we've been given right like it's that and that's where that mysticism piece, so many of us, that's how we um, encounter who God is. And now we're a lot of like, so I'm a pastor, but I'm coming, kind of coming back to, okay, so what does this mean for this faith I was given mm-hmm. out of this experience of, of, of God that's not in the box? <laughs> right. And so that's so, I, I just want to say like, that's, I mean... I just feel like it's such an integral part of the of the path is to embrace that mystery and and it's learning it's not it um my best friend here in seminary is a librarian by trade this is her second master's degree mm-hmm. and um the uh she she jokes about herself in this way that she um she loves the mystery for the sake of research and solving the mystery mm. But as soon as she solves the mystery, it's it's boring. And I was I asked her about something the other day, and um, I I explained to her how I started to solve it because I was reverse engineering this thing, and you know I found out this and this, and she's like, "I'm bored already." It's like you already gave me the answer. I don't yeah. care how you got there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we both acknowledge that mysticism is the it's the love of the mystery. So the challenge with deconstruction and reconstruction, the thing I I struggle with in that language is you're building yourself another box. Yeah. So when I came to seminary, one of the questions that I asked my professors was, how am I going to avoid just feeding my addiction to answers by diving back into academia? Right. And and on the other side of whatever the... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and you talked about you know, a little bit about gender. And one of the things that I, 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 I thought in that moment, um, you know, transitioning is going from one binary to the other. Mm. Yeah. And so, and I think this might've been a little bit what you were getting at that I didn't really grab onto very well, but um, it's going from identifying as male to identifying as female. Mm. Right. Um, and I took some psychology classes because I didn't think there was going to be a life for me in Christian ministry for a minute. And, um, I would sit in class, especially with these young psychology and philosophy undergrads, and they'd be like, so are you, are you a man or a woman? And I would just love to look at them and be like, I'm, I'm both and I'm neither. Huh. And they would, you know, whoa, that's amazing. And, um, but there's, there's truth in that. You know, physically speaking, biologically speaking, when a doctor asks me male or female, my question is, why are you asking? Because it's a different answer, <laughs> for, <laughs> depending on what you, what filter you're needing to apply to my yeah. exam yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, 
And so our, I think our, our faith is the, is the same way. If, if we go from – if we let the pendulum swing from one side to the other, um, yeah. then we've just switched one box for the next. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've switched one form of intolerance for another form of intolerance. Mm, yeah. And unity, harmony, peace in the body of Christ, community is found in diversity, true diversity. Right. Where we are able to let the pendulum find its center. Mm. Which means learning to live, not just live with and tolerate the questions and the mystery and the doubt, but learn to love them. Mm. <laughs> And kind of the point of the cloud of unknowing is that it says you can you ascend to through a cloud of knowledge, through a cloud of for, mm. forgetting, basically. And so it's it sorts out everything that you you thought you knew, and then you sit in this space of mm. knowing. And this is where most of us sit. This is where most of Western Christianity is comfortable. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's kind of like the eye of the storm. You think you're in a good place, but um, oh. there's there's still trouble brewing on all sides. Yeah. And then comes the cloud of unknowing. And the only thing that allows us to ascend through the cloud of unknowing is divine love. Yeah. And it's only after ascending through the cloud of unknowing where knowledge has no tangible value only mm -hmm. love that we truly know and meet the divine yeah yeah so knowledge is not worthless because that's what gets us through the first cloud mm. knowledge is important and it's valuable study is valuable yeah. knowing n knowing god we studied part of my education here um i um took a yoga and spirituality course so i'm a certified yogi um, but the, um, um, we studied Vedic wisdom. Mm. And so recognizing that for what it is, um, wisdom, right. Um, the Sophia, <laughs> um, yes. that it, um, it, it also speaks to truths about God from that context. The old box God was in would never have allowed. Right. That yeah. wisdom, yeah. that insight, that perspective of spirituality and human experience, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is far older than even our Old Testament. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To speak into the, the truth of my experience of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It so. reminds me, well, isn't it in Ephesians and... Uh, I was going to say, what's his face? Paul. <laughs> oh, that dude. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he says like the manifold wisdom of God is the church and he's, that's what's mm -hmm. being revealed. And it's like, not the, the one side of that, but the manifold side of different people and places and contexts and experiences that all, like, if we put them together, could we not see something really cool and yeah and it's and it's amazing how i mean if you look at the history of church of it takes about 500 years for mm -hmm. that to congeal into a unilateral view mm. that then has to be challenged again right yeah um, and we're at that point i i yeah. we are we're 500 years since the reformation yeah 
Yeah. 500 years before the Reformation was the Great Schism. Right. When the Roman and Eastern Church. Yes, yes. that one right there. I don't know. If Holding up uh, Phyllis Tickles, The Great Emergence. Yeah. Yes, I was just about to quote her. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the 500 year rummage sale is what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she pulls out in that. And. Yeah, so navigating change, navigating openness to newness and to yeah. new expressions of faith is, yeah. in my opinion, not just good for the church. It's going to become key to the survival. Yeah. Well, and how does that... In the next era. We have this big understanding of God. As Christ followers, what is our root? What is our... Do you know what I mean? Like, because um, mm -hmm. I actually... I... And it's not a, it's not a concern. That's not the right word for it, but it's, I don't want to get vague, so vague that it's, that things don't um, impact our real lives anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? So what is, yeah. um, like, there's something about the particularness of Christianity and Christ and Jesus that is so mm -hmm. good. So I, what it, for you, like, how does the bigness and the mystery, what's the root for you that is that particular embodied piece? So I'm not going to pretend to have an answer. I think okay. you're absolutely right. It's a big yeah. question. Um, the way I the way I am living into that question um, is evolving. And um, there's several things in my book that I would go back and rewrite. And maybe someday I, I'll have the opportunity to do that. Um, I don't regret writing it, but it's a great snapshot to where I was in that moment five years yeah. ago. Um, but one of the things I say in the book is that I had deconstructed down to this, what I called truth in that mm -hmm. moment, was that God is either sovereign or God is not. Right. And so what I placed as the root mm. of Christ following is the sovereignty of God. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've come past that. Mm. I've, I've gone to, I found a deeper root. And so now the way I would phrase that is God is either love or God is not. Yeah. And that's not God, God is either love or God is not love. That's God is either love or God is not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so there is a, the root for me is back to exactly what Christ said. Mm -hmm. The greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God, love the neighbor as you love yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, and and back again to the to the cloud of unknowing to to ascend to intimate relation with the divine, to yeah. awaken back to our original conversation, back to awaken the divine within us that the yeah. cross has opened our eyes. Mm, yeah, to see the path to that is love. The path yeah. from that is love. Mm -hmm. And love expresses itself in compassion and kindness and generosity. And I'm, I'm going to be preaching this weekend off of, out of Mark 13. And it's Christ saying, stand guard. You don't know the time. You don't know the place. But stand watch. Mm. And what does it mean to stand watch? Well, it's not standing on a tower with binoculars, though some have interpreted it that way. Right. Um, standing guard means be loving. Mm. Be watchful by loving whom, by loving the neighbor, by loving the self, and by loving God mm. in the process of that. Oh.
Yeah, framing a lot of that language that we see in the New Testament that seems combative, you know, all of that. Kind of, there's a lot of military language. Um, is, yeah. And, and well, understanding that, that they were in. Yeah, like, well, here we are. Turned, like, there was a Roman centurion from what yeah. I mean, it's the impression we're given anyway, that yeah. I wasn't there. So I for sure. what, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I think you're, you're in a unique position to, to speak on this, um, how does persecution then so as as a persecuted minor as a part of the per persecuted minority i guess especially within the church mm -hmm. um how does that bring love and help reveal love in yeah um, in an embodied way <laughs> just yeah, so I mean just just for clarity, persecution isn't a word that I would identify with. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um I mean I've had I've literally had rocks thrown at me for being on both sides of this issue. Um when I was in my conservative world, I was I worked for a conservative lobby group and we were producing a video back in the Clinton administration to campaign against allowing gays into the military. And some folks found out where we were and they came and started throwing rocks at us and our camera. And being the young intern, my job was to protect the camera. So yeah. Um, mm. the, uh, yeah. And then I was at a church that had just voted to become affirming and um, was walking into the church. And granted, I could have walked in the back door where the protesters weren't, but that's not my vibe. So um, <laughs> walked in and I felt this pebble hit my shoulder and I mean, it wasn't like a rock. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, they weren't trying to hurt me. They were trying to make a point. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I think that's to me is the distinction. Um, there are pastors who have called for the death of homosexuals. Um, right. You know, so there is a threat of persecution, but mm -hmm. I have never in the wrong con in a, yeah yeah okay. I've I even even the you know um, even having a rock thrown at me. Yeah, that I have a hard time identifying that with the martyrdom yeah. of of the history yeah. of persecution, even yeah. even yeah. the contemporary persecution that is that Christians and all people of faith, mm -hmm. you know, are facing around the world. So, would there be a better um, word? Or because I, mean, I really liked how you how you framed it earlier as as kind of walking in to a room where. You, you could you could take the posture of these people aren't going to accept me, mm -hmm. but you're walking into the room as confident and authentic and bringing your your story to it. Um, so I don't see you living as you know someone who's excluded, but you are excluded I in am. many ways. Oh, I am. You know, me me finding jobs as a trans Baptist preacher is not going to be a. A cakewalk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ask our friend June up there in y'all's mm. neck of the woods. Mm. Um, but um, I think marginalized, um, okay. misunderstood. Mm. Um, the uh, um, those are probably the two two words that I would use more than persecuted. Um, and and part of part of the reason I like, I like those marginalized is, is, is easy statistically to back up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, we, we are a margin. Yeah. Um, that normative is normative for a reason. Um, normative does not equal godliness. Right. 
Um, and so margins are as equal, equally godly and equally um, authoritative as, as normative. Um, misunderstood is probably the, the bigger challenge. And mm-hmm. again, that's, that is em- embracing the narrative. Um, and coming into a space where I don't perpetuate the misunderstanding. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason that the LGBTQ community, I think, perpetuates misunderstanding is that we don't understand cis straight people. Um, I think part of the uniqueness that you, you mentioned is that I I speak Baptist. Right. right. Um, and yet I live into my LGBTQ identity. And so um, to, to go in with with understanding and some idea of how maybe um, I can um, correct some of the misunderstanding about mm. um, the trans community and the LGBTQ community on a larger scale. So then being in the margins, mm-hmm. does that inform a, um, a new or a fresher way or a more authentic way to love? Uh, that's a great question. I would say yes. Um, for example, I am way more compassionate to the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. than I ever would have been um, as I were trying to hide from my margin. Mm. Um, you know, I think... Um, I think Christ is a is a, is another great example of that. There are people that looked at him and said, "Oh gosh, you're you're one of those bumpkins from Galilee." Right. You know, even looked at Peter. It's like you you guys talk funny. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you you have, you have that Galilean accent, and you guys talk the same, and you must be one of them. But mm. but then Jesus looked at the Samaritan woman and looked at the Phoenician woman, and it's like, mm, you know, I don't I don't throw scraps to dogs. You know. Um. The uh, so margins have margins, and have margins. and Jesus was not an exception to recognizing that at least mm-hmm. in the culture. Now, there's a lot of great interpretations. Like the 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 story of the Samaritan woman is one of my absolute favorites because mm. she is one of the most misunderstood people in Scripture, in my opinion. Yeah, the woman at the well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and so. I think I think Jesus addressed the issue of Samaritan marginalization mm. by opening himself to understanding her mm. and opening himself to being understood by her. Yeah. Wow. Because he would have grown up with a lot of prejudice against Samaritans. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and it's kind of like people telling me, don't don't drive through the Midwest alone. I mean, right. that's dangerous for your people. Yeah. Um, people told him the same thing. Don't walk through Samaria. Take the extra yeah. three days. Walk around Samaria. Right. Yeah. And Jesus was mm-hmm. like, no. <laughs> I'm too tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I'm, I'm just tired. Let's get this over with. <laughs> yeah, let's just go straight there. So. Oh, that's... And as a result, we have one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, from a, a an empowered, bold, intelligent woman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this narrative that she was probably a prostitute and an adulterer mm-hmm. and um, yeah. is is complete 
in my opinion, completely misunderstanding the text, the scripture, mm. the cultural context. I mean, she goes back into the town and starts telling the story and people listen and follow her. Right. They don't do that to the town nut job. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, it's beautiful. That's uh, I when in our email I had asked, do you have a Jesus story that's like getting you right now? Because uh, I yes, yeah, no, that, that's always a favorite to fall back. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So. Where where are you at, Zach? Any more questions? I'm about a quarter of the way through my questions, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this has been great because I I. I love being surprised in these conversations mm. because, you know, I come in like, oh, this would be an interesting thing to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, I have my like, and this is where we'll end up. And sure. we never do. So it's it's a great, um, I, I love being schooled over and over again um, because things are so fur- so much further beyond what I can see by myself. Mm. Um, so this has well, been a real treat. I, I really love this. Yeah, you know that ha- that happens on on this side of of the podcast too because we we get asked the same questions a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so to come into a to come into a conversation and be surprised a little bit by the questions. Not you did send me an email, so I'm not completely caught. <laughs> um, but even the surprise sometimes in how the narrative that is you know we we said at the beginning we'd be open to the holy spirit here and how how the narrative mm-hmm. takes shape even in how i respond to questions that i get asked all the time but so. yeah mm-hmm. i well i just want to say thank you laura beth i like just personally i feel more um i i am t- i'm a pastor and i am tired it's been a tiring yes, year <laughs> it really has yeah and that's uh, i mean honestly part of my call to interim ministry is not just churches changing pastors but pastors mm-hmm. on sabbatical right and that is a good call because there's a yeah churches is, is is hard it's hard to navigate all of it and so just even our conversation just felt like jesus pointing to me which i think i need pretty regularly mm. as a pastor because sometimes we're trying sure. to do that for everyone else but i'm like i just need someone to point me to the good news today right. so yes. i'm thankful for this conversation good. um thank you for that that means a lot yeah and for your voice and your um your scripture not like it's just so good and needed and i'm so thankful and i'm i'm so excited to like have our little world of our canadian <laughs> podcast listeners listening i don't know if we have anyone from the states who listens to us but <laughs> well we'll have a couple now maybe hopefully oh, yeah. oh good yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no i'm sure you do yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but i'm i'm so grateful this has been one of the biggest um treats for me Treats, that's not even the right word. Yes. I'll take it. No, I, I don't mind being a treat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you um, can you just say like uh, what you're doing? And so you mentioned you have a book and it's called Shattering Masks. Yes, available on Amazon. Available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, there are I, passages I apologize in advance for. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, nor- that's going to be the way. Yep. Um, I did get, I have it on my Kindle, so I'm going to. Excellent. Uh, finish reading it uh, this week. Um, anything else you're working on or, or your website or social media you can, people can find? Sure. Yeah. Um, my Facebook page, uh, Laura Beth, Laura Bethany Buckleider. Um, 
the uh, my website, Laura hyphen Bethany. Okay. There's not a hyphen in my name, but Laura Bethany was already taken. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, Laura hyphen Bethany dot com. Yeah. So coming up um, in May, um, graduation with the Masters of Divinity and ordination um, mm. into a, the cooperative, um, a, a church with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. All right. Um, and the album uh, coming out, we're very excited about. Um, yeah. It's definitely in that, that home studio genre, but shooting shooting for the top tier of, of the genre. So we've, got, Excellent. We've, we've been able to build a nice little recording space here over the last Oh, I love it. So and the goal is to actually move the recording studio into a travel trailer. Okay. And that will be my office and writing space my creative space as i um and there'll be a bunk in there that i can can travel and sleep in yeah. and stuff but as i as i go travel around to churches i'll have my library and everything but, wow that would that's a cool idea so we'll yeah. see i mean it's still i have no idea in fact i'm i'm leaving here to go f truck shopping to hopefully <laughs> find something that'll pull the trailer once yeah. i i find it <laughs> so one one step at a time but yeah, yeah, and home trying to trying to make home base here in Indiana, but um, not exactly sure where that's going to be in the next couple of months either. So a lot of lot of change and transition. Yeah, right yeah. now. And if I stop and think about all of it at once, it can be a little anxiety mm -hmm. producing. But hence yeah. the panic attack that my friends talked me down right. from. <laughs> so, yeah. so. well, I I think we we'd like to encourage you and you know wish you well on your on this really exciting new. Thank you chapter yeah that's yeah. that's really awesome yeah i appreciate it yeah. no, it was fantastic to meet you all and i really enjoyed talking to you yeah, yeah. us too thank you so much and you're those churches are going to be so lucky to thank have you, you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i i haven't announced this on social media yet i'm gonna probably this week but my first first one will be in western wyoming okay okay um so cool. i get to get to recover from seminary in the high mountain desert a little yeah. bit so that'll be good yeah. Yeah. Good for all of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess since you weren't given the name Laura Bethany at birth mm -hmm. um, by your parents, um, what what led you to that name um, in kind of embracing that name? Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite questions to get asked, and I hardly ever get asked. So thank you um, oh, for that. By names the way. <laughs> are important. Yeah. They, oh, you're uh, welcome. Um the, uh, no, I actually have this illustration that when I'm talking to um, gender expansive groups, um, I, I I talk through this explanation of, um, and I describe a rose basically, but it's not until you see the picture of the rose that you know mm. what I've been describing. Mm. And uh, my point is, with mm. all due respect to Shakespeare, a rose by any other name is not a rose. Mm. I mean, and actually, I start out. I start the lesson saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna describe a Vandersplat to you." Mm. And if I describe a Vandersplat to you, and I describe a rose, it's not pretty. It's thorny mm. and yeah. fragile, and um, so mm. yeah, names are important. But um, Laura Bethany, Laura, I, um, you know, I mentioned struggling with gender dysphoria through my dreams, and as long as I can remember, in my dreams, people address me as Laura. Mm. Um, I, I, when I was really young, I had this affinity for Laura Ashley yeah. design and clothing. So I don't know that if that, know what that's that where it 
it came <laughs> from, but the uh, um, I'd say Google it, but don't worry about it. <laughs> save, save your Google minutes. Um, the uh, um, so it, it the name Laura comes from Laurel. Um, which is the the leaves that were used to make the victory wreaths uh -huh. um, for uh -huh. ancient Greek and Roman, like the original Olympic right. games and such. And so um, I, I wanted a name that meant new life and resurrection. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was reading uh, mm. the story of Lazarus where Christ brings Lazarus back from the dead and it says he, he came to the town of Bethany. Mm. And so Bethany in my mind is a place of resurrection and new life. So yeah. Laura Bethany is my victorious new life. Oh my goodness. Um, and the book is actually published under Laura Beth Taylor. Mm -hmm. And Taylor was a pen name that I adopted and was going to be my legal name at first um, because I thought I needed to, to, protect my family mm. my kids uh, my parents i didn't think they would want um the family name associated with me in this mm. journey and this change and transition i was on and as we got to talking and working through it and got past the democrat republican conversation and into deeper um realities of of what was going on and there, there were some some letters that they were like just can you just decide to be something different and I'm like, that's exactly what I've been doing. And that's why I almost killed myself and was in the hospital. And right. um, they're like, okay, we get it. And so finally in a letter, dad says, I think I get it. The only thing that really bothers me is that you would walk away from our family name. Mm. And I'm like, done. <laughs> so, <laughs> Buck Lighter is not nearly as clean on a book or album cover as Taylor, but I mean, I, yep. <laughs> So, um, and I still have the, if I gave you a dollar joke. So yeah. I, you know, um, yeah. So even, <laughs> even not changing my last name became a powerful part of that. Yeah. That oh, that's a good story. Yeah. Ties into community. Like we were talking before and roots and like, yeah, there's, there's yeah. quite a bit there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up in a military family, we, we were nomadic and it's kind of where I got in my blood, I'm pretty sure. But um, the uh, so we don't have the geographic roots, but I do have the family roots. And even though they are strained by politics and, mm. um, you know, thoughts on spirituality and scripture and stuff, we, uh, you know, I was talking to moms right before I got on the phone with y'all or so. Um we do have a strong relationship. We yeah. do have a strong mm. connection. And so I have those roots. I have spiritual roots that mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. grown fast um, yeah. in new places after I uprooted my spirituality. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, mm. so. so good. Recording today has been done online from our homes. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the Podcast Made Flesh, no spaces, or on Facebook 
like our page and follow us. Get all our updates. 